Welcome to episode two of Open Door. We're joined today by Cindy Cardell, the Studio 4 teacher at the International School of Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Having held various roles in Russia, the United Arab Emirates, Switzerland, and now Vietnam, we are eager to learn about her experiences and thoughts on the primary years program. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Lee. Hi, you Very doing? well, Chris. And yourself, mate? Um, excellent, mate. Thank you so much. So we are joined today by a very special we guest. We are indeed. Very excited about this one. Yeah. Hi, Cindy. How are Hi, you? good. Thanks. And you? Excellent. I'm really well. Thank good. you. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, when Lee and I sat down and we were planning this and we started to put together a list of educators, I got to say you were at the very top. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we we're big followers of your work on Twitter and um, I've been reading your blog for a couple of years and it's just really great to have the chance to sort of get a, a conversation going with you about what you're doing in your school. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, yeah, so your brains. Yep, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so to start off, um, can you tell us how did you get into teaching? Did you always plan on being an educator? Not really. Um, I've always worked with kids and volunteered with kids before I even had a job and worked with special needs kids at day summer camps and things like that. Um, but I also had other jobs kind of throughout high school. And then actually my mom, I wanted to work with really, really younger kids. And my mom said, do you really want to be just changing diapers all the time? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> okay, so I'll move up. <laughs> and that's really how I got into elementary. Um, and I'm glad I did because even now I prefer the higher end of elementary anyway. So it was definitely worth it. <laughs> so Sid, you've taught in many different countries. You're now in Vietnam. What yeah. would you say to our listeners are the benefits and the challenges of being an international educator? At first, my first major benefit was actually just having a job. Um, when, I, <laughs> when I graduated 10 years ago, there was nothing in, in British Columbia where I'm from. And so really just having the job was the first major benefit, but also <laughs> just the travel opportunities that I've had with it, um, new places, new people, and that all comes with its challenges, of course, but I think it really um, kind of balances it, itself out, really. And so you've taught in a number of different countries. Is there anyone which um, you've particularly enjoyed or found challenging? Um, I really liked the UAE. I feel like there was a really good work-life balance there, really good um, social life there and everything. Switzerland was harder for different reasons. I think it was really small and a bit tougher that way, but I'm kind of like in the more quirky, not as clear-cut, easy <laughs> countries. So good. I'm liking Vietnam as well for the same reason. Yeah, just looking through your LinkedIn profile uh -huh. and it just sort of reads as a, a map of the world <laughs> yeah. going through all of the, all these different countries. It's very impressive. Yeah, it's been fun. It's really good. I enjoyed it. And so during this journey, you've sort of, you've taken on many different roles. I believe you started off teaching ICT. Yeah. You've been a PYP coordinator. You're currently working as a classroom teacher. Um, is there any of these roles which you've particularly enjoyed? Um, I enjoy all of them. And really, it depends on the day whether I flip back and forth of, oh, I want out of the classroom again or to stay in. It really depends on my mood. But um, I, I really don't know. I've enjoyed all of them. 
Well, in terms of which of the skills have been really essential across all of those roles? Because in a way, they're very different, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, they are very um, different. Um, actually, at one time, I had all three of these roles at the same time. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was very difficult. So I learned a lot that year of just organization and not procrastinating so much, which I am prone to do, <laughs> um, and being flexible. But I think also, like finding something to gain clarity for yourself and I think for myself that came out with blogging actually um mm -hmm. and just getting that like not feeling alone with things sometimes if you know you're doing a million things at once and you just kind of have to get on with it but other people are maybe like affirming what you're doing and building on your ideas and making them even better and blogging really helped me kind of get through those moments <laughs> oh fantastic and you find you have enough time to blog or is it something you work in, make it a regular thing? Um, not or... so much anymore. <laughs> I'm busy with the studio. <laughs> I wish I had more time. I, I try to, to dedicate time to it, but I know that in the past I've definitely had more posts out there, but it's kind of a, a spur of the moment thing. I feel it and I have to get it all out and then it's usually written in a day or two and then it's out there. So. Oh, excellent. So, um, You've mentioned you were in Vietnam and you've just mentioned the studio. So you're currently teaching yeah. at the International School of Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the school and about your role there? Sure. Um, I'd say the school is fairly forward thinking and it has a, an innovative culture, a kind of expectation almost to push, push the boundaries of education and really be in it for the kids and think about the why all the time mm. we are thinking about the why. Um, we also practice mindfulness a lot and we really practice what we preach. Like we do it with the kids every day, but we also do it at the beginning of meetings and even when it's just adults in the room. So we really um, live that as well, I guess. It's a real philosophy that runs throughout the school. Yeah, at all levels. definitely. And so would you say your school setup is typical for a school in Vietnam or are you very much sort of pioneers? No, I would say pioneers. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm really interested to learn more about this studio setup that you yeah. have. Mm -hmm. um, so, so can you tell us a little about the, the class sizes that you have, the, the physical design of the classrooms? Um, how does that work? Sure. So we're in a fairly new space. Um, the school is kind of going through renovations in different phases. Uh, we have basically, I guess, six classrooms, but only five groups of kids, classes, I guess. Um, mm. And then one is our town hall. And all of the rooms have big, huge sliding doors so we can open it up to basically the whole studio is a big kind of circle. Um, and mm. only one door on each class. So there's not actually a door to, to block out anybody. <laughs> Oh, right. um, which has its <laughs> benefits, but also its challenges. With <laughs> uh, yeah, so it just makes for a really free flow um, area where the kids can work wherever they want with whoever they want. They've really made new friendships and we've really seen um, those collaborations happen a lot. And I think it really is due to, you know, those walls that move and not having doors and <laughs> all those things. That's amazing. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, it, it, it almost sounds like... It sounds like the size of our whole school in sort of one grade level. Yeah. <laughs> the space can feel small sometimes, but uh, we make it work, you know, and some areas 
kind of naturally become the quieter areas, which is nice. And um, yeah, there's couches everywhere, very flexible seating. It sounds absolutely great. And um, I think one thing that I've always seen with your school is sort of the push towards agency and allowing students um, the freedoms and the agency that they should have. Um, how do yeah. you feel that your approach enhances agency across your school? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it really changes every single unit. Like, and I really mean every unit looks completely different. We, like, mm. depending on what we're doing, um, we'll build the scaffolding, the structure of the unit, uh, sorry, of the timetable even, to, be, to fit what we want to do. <laughs> Is that the um, students that drive your timetable restructuring for each week? Basically, yes. I mean, I think we tweak the structures based on what the students need at that time of the year. So mm. when we're thinking about the unit and how we're planning the unit, we're really thinking of what, are the stu what the students are ready for. So even though what we've all done this year, next year is going to be completely different again because it's different kids, really. And yeah. it's always the why of, of those kids. So we try to leave, I mean, in most units, we try to leave it open enough. So there might be like a central idea that has no ending or something. And then they choose inquiry groups based off of their interests. And then we make those larger groups. And then they even usually have a smaller group within that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm really interested in sort of the practicalities behind the, the planning and the strategy, particularly, you know, working with so many other teachers. Yep. How do you go about planning, say, a, a full on unit like that with 100 students who've got very diverse interests and needs? What does that look um, like? Slowly. <laughs> and <laughs> we try to start planning like maybe two weeks ahead, which sometimes feels like a lot and sometimes doesn't feel like enough time but at the same time like we really just have to read how the kids are reacting to what we're doing anyway so it might change we might have this whole big plan and then oh no they need a little bit more structure than that so we have to change it anyway so there's no point in really planning too far ahead uh, mm. we have lots of meetings definitely to feedback about the students and see where they're at and what changes might need to be made yeah it sounds really cool I saw that you sort of set up workshops um, mm -hmm. and your structure runs around workshops. How do they get planned? And do you plan them throughout the day or is it just for specific times? Um, usually, again, depending on the unit, but usually it would be in mutual times where the whole, all five studios are in, in the studio. So nobody is a specialist or anything like that so that everybody has the opportunity to come to a workshop. Sometimes they might be run like multiple times throughout the week when not everybody's there, but not, not as often really it happens that way. Okay. And how do you ensure that students are making sort of appropriate choices for the workshops and um, having a balance? Yeah. So, yeah, at the beginning of the week, they set their goals. So they have a math goal, a literacy goal, um, an inquiry goal and an ATL skills goal. Okay. Um, and we check in even before they start like working on those goals. I'll check in with the students, make sure that they're, you know, they fit with where they should be going and they're not too hard and not too easy for themselves mm. um, and check in throughout the week. What workshops are you going to go to to support that goal? Um, and then also check in again at the end of the week 
are you going to pivot or persevere on that goal? And what evidence, evidence do you have that you need to pivot or persevere? Um, and if they say, what, what are you going to pivot towards? Uh, so it's a lot of conferencing with the students, like really mm. a lot of check-ins, making sure that they're doing what they need to be doing. <laughs> yeah. Do you find That's that you really always have the time to check in with each individual student or do you have to give more attention to one student for one week and then rotate? How does it kind of work for you? About 20 kids. Like I have in my advisory, I guess, my car group, my group that I have in the beginning of the day and the end of the mm. day. So, I mean, on a Monday and a Friday, I really do dedicate and make sure that I check in with every single student. And yeah. then maybe on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I or on, oh. or on an as-needed basis or things. Where do those goals come from, Cindy? And how do you keep track of that? Is there a particular method that you've got to record those and check in with the um, students? It changes, again, a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> right now, we have up with, with math. Um, part of me feels like it's a little bit standards-based, but at the same time, it's very much what the students need. So they've taken a whole bunch of the mathletics, we're using mathletics, so they have taken all of the kind mm -hmm. of tests, figured out what their weakest area is, and then each, te each teacher has kind of taken on a math strand. So they're teaching um, workshops based on that math strand, and they go to that math group for one week and then um, measure with mathletics again or end with conferencing with that teacher um, how much progress they have made and what evidence they have for that again and whether they can pivot or persevere. And it seems to be working really well. I, I really like that choice of the words pivot or persevere yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm just typing at the moment exactly <laughs> out. I love it and so um some of the conversations that we've had at our school given the increased focus on agency mm -hmm. within the enhanced PIP has been about assessment and we had some conversations about this this week where we're talking giving more agency and they've got more choice in what they do part of the problem Set so issues with summative assessments and having sort of a one size fits all. What have been the conversations at your school regarding assessment and also sort of the, the role of summative assessment in a unit? Um, I definitely think we've taken on more just assessing as we go along and then having some sort of presentation kind of thing at the end. So we had a mini X for our. Um, how we express ourselves unit that really wasn't very mini it was quite big uh, <laughs> but then with other other units we've kind of made sure that at least they're sharing with other people at the end so it does still give them that bit of a, a purpose and and um, kick in the right direction of getting things completed for a reason um, mm. but they have the agency of how they present that as well so what app they want to use or if they want to dance or sing or whatever not most yeah. most of them don't choose mm -hmm. those things but <laughs> the option is there <laughs> um, or, or, or print out or make a poster or make something visual in the art studio or they just have okay. to show their kind of understanding of the central idea and lines of inquiry I guess and so then how would you assess that say if they've done a presentation are you, are you giving mm -hmm. them a rubric at the end um, or is just really based on their sort of qualitative reflections yeah we tend to go for a single point rubric so not making things too complicated for ourselves but yeah. we yeah and we get the the peers to 
each other as well so that they're taking that feedback. Um, and they, I mean, our students actually write their own report cards essentially with a little advisor comment at the bottom. So they use the feedback that they get to write their own and okay, what, what have I done really well and what do I need to improve on next time? And then we add our own little comment. Oh, so that helps them with that. Yeah. Are they part of the process of creating the single point rubrics or, or is that something um, that comes from you on the standards that your school has? I guess most of the time it pretty much comes from us, but it's, it's usually, I mean, in line with the concepts and the, the lines of inquiry. So they're still fairly open yeah. or, or to do with the ATL skills too. Oh, so. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I was having a look through your blog and I was really interested. You discussed some of your feelings towards the backwards design planning approach. I think you just touched on it a bit. Could you yeah. maybe explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I forget what unit I was doing last year, but I've, I've felt it this year as well, where I just didn't feel right where we were at the, the teachers were at the beginning of the unit trying to plan this summative assessment at the end. and. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really know where the students were going to end up taking it. So how could we say, like, well, that you need to be able to show this, 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 and this, but in whatever way, but we didn't really know what they were even going to... I don't remember what the unit was, but anyways, ba basically, we don't know what direction they're going, so how can we tell them where to, where to go? Like, why should we tell them where to go? <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'll say, I, th I think it, you find that you end up trying to guide the unit rather than allowing the students to guide the unit them for themselves. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I guess this year with our How We Express Ourselves unit, we just kind of made, I mean, that was our mini X. So the mini X was, I guess, their summative of, of their showcase. Yeah. But that we did, it was open-ended enough that we weren't really telling them where to go. We were just saying, okay, you have to show your identity whatever way. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I guess it sort of comes really into the, the spirit of the International Baccalaureate and this inquiry-based learning approach. Um, I guess one of the questions I had sort of following on from that, though, so if you're, you're not really sure where the students are going to be taking you, I mean, you've got the central idea in the lines of inquiry, yeah. but what sort of impact is there on the horizontal and vertical planning across the school? Because mm -hmm. surely there must be some implications for the grade level above and below you, depending on what your students want to learn and what they're interested in. Yeah, um, I guess our PYP coordinator like tracks the, the concepts, I guess, would be the main thing. So, um, Cindy, on your blog, you also discussed some of the connections with agency and field trips. So what were your thoughts here? Yeah. yeah, that was another one where I just we were at a zoo last year and there were so many things that the students could have been planning that we just kind of didn't even think about because we're the, you know, we're the adults and we plan the route, we plan the time and all that kind of stuff. So then the next unit, we actually got the kids to plan it. This was grade twos and threes. And we gave them the, you know, okay, look at the timetables and what time we have to be there by. And it starts at this time. So when, what bus do we need to take and what tram and what connects? And I think mm -hmm. they, well, they loved it, first of all. Um, mm. And they just felt a lot more ownership over the trip of like, yeah, we planned how to get here and what we were not what we were doing, but just the logistics side of it, I guess. And yeah, more real, more real life. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, more real life things. Like why, 
it puts stress on us when we don't actually need to do it. They can do it. Yeah, because very often field trips can be the antithesis of this sort of student-led um, agency approach to teaching where the teacher has to plan things in advance. Right. And so starting to wrap up, I was wondering what tips would you give other educators in order to promote student agency within the classroom? Yeah, I would say, I mean, start small and where you're comfortable, but definitely start because once you start you just kind of add a little bit more and a little bit more and it's it becomes amazing and um last year I blogged through my process of in my grade three class my small grade three class and it was just me doing it um so I mean if you want some examples you can check out my blog there but I just started with just guided reading and what are you planning for the week you need to do these are your musts and shoulds and coulds and then once they were comfortable then we moved on to math yeah starting but what with what you are comfortable with and just keep your students are ready to grow to the next step fantastic and um we've just tackled agency so let's go to one of the other big a's in the pyp so action is one of the essential elements of the pyp so how do you plan for action and um what sort of action have your students taken um this is definitely one that we are wanting to work on Um, I think we discuss it a lot and in in a lot of ways I mean I don't know sometimes we expect like all these big actions but really it could just be a change of their thinking or a change of a habit or the change of you know wanting to promote something or becoming passionate about something Um, but it's definitely something that I think our whole school is wanting to improve on a little bit more I think oh well I look forward to your blog posts about that journey yeah (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Cindy, we'd like to thank you so much for your time today. It's a great pleasure to sit down and as we stick your brains and just learn a little about your approach to student agency and plan. Yeah, at, thank you. Um, the International School of Ho Chi Minh City. Thank you so much. If, if people want to learn a bit more about your work, where can they find you online? Yeah, so my blog is innovativeinquirers.weebly.com. And then my Twitter handle is off of that. So it's innovative underscore ink, but with a Q for inquirers. Yeah, on Twitter. I'd highly recommend it. There's some excellent blog posts on there. And you go through sort of your journey through a lot of your units, which is really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Once again, thanks so much to Cindy for joining us to discuss her PYP studios and how they approach student agency. It truly is inspiring to get a glimpse into her classroom. Agency is becoming more and more of a priority within education, and it's really shaping our planning, instruction, and assessment practices throughout the school. Following on from last week's episode, we did have one voice message that we wanted to play back. So here it is. Hi, Chris and Lee. Uh, I really enjoyed the first episode. Uh, it's Paul Tullick. Um, my handle on Twitter is at Mr. Tullick. Uh, I just wanted to share what inspires me. Um, as a child, I didn't really feel like I had a voice in the classroom. And my inspiration is to give all the children that I work with a voice. Um, really enjoyed the first episode. Um, and I'm really looking forward to more. Well done. Keep it up, guys. Paul, thank you 
so much for your message. I couldn't agree more. That's a really good connection to Lee's story from our first episode. And I think giving every child a voice is definitely something that inspires us both every day as teachers. I absolutely agree. Yeah, thanks so much, Paul, for that message. It's really great to hear educators such as yourself giving a voice to students and helping guide young people. Thanks so much for contributing to the show. And if you'd like to get in touch with us on the show, then you can leave us a message on Twitter using the hashtag OpenDoorPod. Or if you'd like Paul, if you'd like to leave a message on Anchor, you can do so via the app. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, then you can get in contact with us both on Twitter. Lee, how can people get hold of you on Twitter? If I admit my handle, at Mr. Blowers. And I am C-Galley E-D-U. Thank you so much for listening.